This podcast contains material that is intended for mature audiences and may not be suitable for all listeners. Enjoy. You'll notice on the side of your, your bottle it says Nastro Azzurro, which I'm not even going to attempt an Italian accent because I just sound like Mario when I do that. Hey, Luigi, it's me, a Peroni. Episode 2 of Bitter Units, a beer podcast, brought to you by Deadeye Barbecue Sauce via the Tailgate Society. Again, I'm Aaron Wall from the last episode. I am in Studio 1. In Studio B, we have JT Nutt. In Studio 3, our expert, Tim Johnson. And in the command center, Mr. David Graff, back with us again. Uh, Hopefully you caught the first episode. We're glad to have you back in this one if you did. We have moved along a little bit. We really appreciate the support and the following we got off the first podcast. And uh, hopefully you are visiting our sponsor, Deadeye Barbecue Sauce, the best goddamn barbecue sauce in the known universe. It's really good stuff. Again, you can get it at all your fairway stores. Amazon.com carries it. That's how I've gotten it in the past, given that I live on the West Coast. But it's really, really good. If you haven't tried it, tried it. They've got rubs, sauces, the whole shebang. We're still in quarantine. I don't know if you guys have noticed that, but uh, I know the rest of us have. And I believe that if you own stock in whiskey or beer or alcohol of any type at this time, it's probably doing pretty good compared to the rest of the stock market. (laughs) Because I know all of us are drinking maybe a little more than we normally do. I know last Thursday I drank a lot more than I normally do, and uh, that's the last time I've had a drink, actually, until today. (laughs) But, uh, JT, how have you been handling the being at home a lot more and, you know, just the inability to go out and hang, and what have you been drinking? How have you been getting along? Uh, My beer fridge has never been more full. I know that much. Uh, I've been doing about the same I normally would. I just don't go out and get to enjoy them in public. But I certainly hit up a couple different breweries here in town, uh, 515 and Twisted Vine, and take home some Crowlers or Growlers. Uh, They'll give you some Growlers for free, which is kind of nice. The Crowlers, I kind of like those better because then I have to finish it in one night, which, I mean, it's just two beers anyway. So I've been drinking a lot of those, and I've been getting uh, a lot of my favorite. Because you buy three, you get one free from Twisted Vine, so I usually get a double up on that sour beer. I like that. I put a little bit of blueberry in, which is freaking awesome, and... So yeah, I've been pretty much doing the same as before the quarantine, or quarantine as I call it, because I'm really freaking tired of it. I don't know if I'm more tired of that or hearing people's hot takes on social media about it, because everyone seems to be an expert, but no one is. But yeah, other than that, that hasn't been too bad. I'm an expert in everything. You'll know when we get to tasting this beer here in a minute. But in all seriousness, our actual episode, our expert, uh, Tim, how about you? Have you been drinking anything new, different? exploring the world while you're sitting at home you know i've been trying to actually go revisit some of my old standbys it's one of those things where once you kind of get out and about and you go to a lot of different breweries maybe you kind of forget some of those familiar ones i've been drinking a lot more summit again i did have uh, my friends at east lake craft brewery in the midtown global market here in minneapolis were kind enough to 
send over some crowlers for me the other day. They're located in, in a global market, which is nice. So they also can grab some of those those restaurants that are hit by the quarantine and bring some of that food as well. So I was able to have a couple of beers and a torta the other day, and that was absolutely perfect. So I've been trying to do a mix of making sure those those locals are taken care of and kind of revisiting some of those beers that I've loved for a long time, but have maybe kind of pushed to the wayside for a little while. Yeah, no, I totally understand that. You know, this will, yeah, this will be the first beer that I've had since the last time we recorded a podcast. I just don't drink that much when I'm at home, to be honest with you guys. Uh, except for when we had our Zoom meeting uh, <laughs> about a week and a half ago. And, uh, you know, I drank most of a bottle of whiskey that night and forgot that I recently started heart blood pressure medicine. And, yeah, my body was oh. angry with me the next day. So, uh, note to self, don't do that anymore because I've done got old. Um, but I know that part of this and part of what's difficult with the stay in place and all of that kind of stuff is what you can get right what what you can get delivered and and how far you can go to get something right now is difficult i know up here in washington my grocery store will deliver that's how we're getting all of our food right now i think tim didn't you say you got uh, some delivery stuff from amazon or somebody like that yeah amazon prime now has been actually pretty reliable for me as far as speed uh the one challenge though like you mentioned was the selection there have been a lot of times i've gone through the list of a, a local liquor store that amazon prime partners with and what i order and is frequently subbed out for something very similar sometimes it's something that uh, i i'm still very much happy with and sometimes it's maybe not quite what i'm looking for but uh, you know certainly the the speed is, has been something i've been actually pleasantly surprised by yeah, so surprise, uh, surprise beers. You never. <laughs> that's uh, that'll be interesting when something gets subbed out. Yeah. Uh, have you actually been subbed out and brought anything that you haven't had before? Nothing from that sort. I think generally, whatever algorithm or whatever thing they're using to to try to find a substitution, they're probably going with the most popular version of that style. That said, there's some beers that I I think are probably not representative replacements that I've gotten. So I don't know if it depends on who's picking that order or how that works, but no surprises yet for anything new, for sure. Although the the stuff I got from Eastlake last week, there was one beer in there that was new, and that was kind of fun. Yeah, right on. So it was a local that got you got, but it was part of a mixed pack or something like that? Yeah, well, I'd, I'd basically just gotten three different crawlers, and one of them was, was something I hadn't had before, which is good, which is a nice, juicy IPA that I, I really enjoyed. So that was fun. Yeah, right on. What about you, JT? I forgot what the initial question was. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> How are you acquiring your stock? You said you're stocked up. Are you going out to get it? Do you have to have it delivered? You know, every, all of our situations are a little bit different, so. Yeah, delivery option, unfortunately, the things, I, I got some folks that can't really go out right now, so my sister and I are splitting time shopping for them, so I actually have to go out to the store, which I just try to do the best I can, social distance and all that, and I usually just, I only go to a couple of places, the high by my house, or the fairway by my house, and the fairway by my house actually has a pretty decent selection of 
local and small breweries. So I will sometimes I'll stock up on like the Founders CBS, which is an amazing beer. Uh, it's uh, like 25 bucks for a four pack, but it's worth every penny because it's that freaking good. So yeah, I just if I see something different, like I had the Peroni the other day, there was only one, so I got a six pack of a couple other things I never tried before. Now, I end up getting a lot of Sierra Nevada, which is usually a brewery that's usually pretty good to me. I've never really had anything from them that I haven't liked, and that's continued. So yeah, I usually just get from Hy-Vee or Fairway, which are both within a mile of my house. I don't feel bad about if I have to go out and you know grab Kleenex or something like that uh, if I can find it. Uh, go ahead and do that. So. Yeah, I try. I try to stay as local as possible. Right on. Totally understand. JT, you made a really good point there, um, and actually mentioned our beer of the week this week. Peroni. Peroni is an Italian beer. I don't know anything else other than that. Uh, but uh, Tim, what can you tell us about it? Sure. So I picked Peroni this week because I wanted us to have an import, uh, an international light lager. This is one of those uh, breweries that uh, maybe is not as well known as, say, a Heineken or a Stella, but it's kind of along that same vein. It's one of those breweries that has been around forever, and it's actually the fastest-growing European import that's out there. Um, I don't know if it's something that either of you guys have had before or enjoyed at all, I've I've had it a handful of times over the years, uh, not not a bunch, but a, a few. JT, I've I think I've had it once before. There, when we could go out to restaurants, there's a really good Italian restaurant here in Des Moines called um, Oh To Me and Sons, and they had it there. And I don't remember if I liked it or loved it. I know it didn't taste like Heineken, so I didn't hate it. But it's been <laughs> so long because Heineken's just awful. But yeah, I can't remember if I would had a really strong feeling on it one way or the other. And if it was during a company Christmas party at that point in the night, it probably wouldn't have mattered anyway. <laughs> well, it's <laughs> right. Yeah, it's it's definitely uh, one of my favorite European imports for sure. Peroni is is actually it's a company that's been around since the I don't know eighteen forties eighteen fifties. The Peroni that we're drinking right that we're going to be drinking tonight was actually a recipe that came about probably in about the nineteen sixties, I believe. You'll notice on the side of your, your bottle it says Nastro Azzurro, which I'm not even going to attempt an Italian accent because I just sound like Mario when I do that. Hey, Luigi, it's me, a Peroni. But uh, uh, what Nastro Azzurro actually translates to is Blue Ribbon. Uh, so don't think of this like Pabst Blue Ribbon, but the idea is this is their premium product. Peroni, the brewery, actually has several brands, and this is going to be the more premium of their lockers that they have. Okay, so you mentioned that one one note in there that uh, people probably understand is that it is a a lager, uh, pretty run of the mill, uh, for lack of a better way of putting it, but a pretty you know gold standard type of uh, style for people. Um, you think of lagers in the U.S. That's the all of our mass. Mass market beer stuff is basically lagers, right? Anheuser-Busch, um, you know, Budweiser and, and those types of things are all lagers, right? Yeah, generally speaking, they, they are all lagers. And that's kind of where I wanted to go with this is it kind of sits in that same vein as something that 
maybe Aaron, you'd be a little bit more familiar with drinking, but bringing a little bit more of a twist and maybe some more old world ingredients to it as well. Okay, right on. Well, my Italian heritage uh, should should handle this just fine. So uh, <laughs> who knows? Maybe I've had uh, relatives work there in the past. I haven't talked to any of them that are still living over there in a while. Yeah, so okay, step one of tasting this beer, Tim. Let's let's let you kind of lead us through it. What do you want us to do? How should we go about it? What's step one? Okay, well, the first thing I'm going to recommend we do is go ahead and pour it into a glass. And I'm going to go ahead and do that as well. As you uncap it, you're going to get a little bit of aroma right away that comes out at you. Yes, yes, you do. Right? And as you pour that into your glass, you're going to notice a couple things about that beer as well. Now, I'm not going to be a snob and tell you that I don't ever drink straight out of the bottle. But if you're going to taste something for the first time or, or taste something to try to appreciate it, it's always a good idea to, to pour it out. So as you pour that out, kind of what are some first impressions you guys are getting? The aroma, for sure, it kind of has a skunky smell to it. Uh, maybe that's not the right term, maybe piney. Uh, but there's a definite aroma to it. Uh, when I look at it, it looks clear like a lager. Uh, you can see the bubbles coming up, which I remember when I was a kid. And when I first seen my dad pour beer, I was like watching the bubbles go up. Um, pretty clear for a lager, not ha hazy or cloudy at all. Uh, look, it would, if I had to describe how it looks, it, it would look refreshing. Sure. Aaron, do you have any thoughts? Definitely get the whiff of it when you open it. it. smells like beer to me. I poured it into my glass and, you know, it, it obviously looks like beer. It is that yellow, <laughs> like most of the beers you think about, you know, the first beers you ever drink are this color, you typically. I'm surprised at how little, little carbonation I see in it mm. uh, comparative to like when I pour out a Budweiser or something like that into a bottle. I don't, I don't see a lot of head. I don't get a whole lot of carbonation, but that may change once it gets into my mouth or something. But, or maybe I got a bad one. I don't know. But I'm gonna drink it either way. You know, we talked about last time the tasting method of appearance, aroma, taste, mouthfeel, and finish. So we kind of talked about appearance there. Like JT said, it's clear. It's not turbid. It's a pale straw color. It looks, it looks very much like your prototypical beer for sure. Yeah. Uh, the other thing that that JT hit on was the aroma, and he had said skunky. Do you guys have any idea what's causing that skunk? Not a clue. Uh, maybe pungent would have been a better word, more appropriate word, but definitely, it's definitely a strong aroma. I'm guessing maybe it's coming from whatever makes the beer, the hops or whatever is actually making it the sour beer that it is. I, I'm really not sure. Aaron, do you have any guesses? Guess that uh, it has degraded some since it left Italy. Yeah, I, and you know what? You both are right. So you'll notice that kind of skunky, and skunky is actually the right term. Okay. Uh, and the reason why that is is because – uh, what happened to this beer is it got light struck. UV light can get through a green bottle pretty easily. Why a lot of European breweries are still using green bottles, 
I do not know, but UV light can get through green bottles pretty easily. And that UV light starts to, well, I can get into it a lot more if people have questions on it, but basically it breaks down the, the isomerized alpha acids from the hops and it, uh, it reacts with some sulfur compounds and it creates a compound called 3-MBT, which is 3-methyl-2-butene-1-thiol. But that's actually a same chemical that is a chemical precursor in skunk spray. So to call it skunky is actually dead on. It's literally chemically similar to some of the chemicals in skunk spray. And you want me to drink this. Okay. <laughs> I appreciate it. Pepe Le Beer. Yeah. <laughs> well, and that's the thing about this, though, is is that aroma has kind of become a signature for European imports, which is something that you'll see if you have a St. Pauli girl or a Grolsch or a Heineken. It's something that they've been known for, but it's not necessarily something that the brewers themselves over there are proud of. But sometimes brewers and marketers don't see eye to eye. Yeah, I'm sure if you had this at the factory or at the brewery, right, it would be a completely different aroma or smell over there. If, sure, even if, if you get you it out it of fresh, even if you get it out of the can or out of the keg, that is going to be protected from that UV light. Then definitely, you're going to not have as overwhelming of those things. The same thing that I'll tell you is that reaction happens really quickly. If you were out on a patio, like, man, I really, one of the big things about the quarantine is I miss sitting out on a bar patio having a beer. But if you're out on a patio drinking an IPA, even just that pint as you're sitting out in the sun can go ahead and start to skunk that beer as well. So you could notice it literally within minutes. That's interesting. I wouldn't have, have thought it would happen quite that quickly. So we went through the smell, and obviously yep. we've, we've touched on on what it looks like what do you think is next i'm hoping you get to say i get to drink it yes absolutely go ahead and, and take a sip and hold it in your mouth for a little bit so as that's sitting in your mouth let that kind of feel and sit on your tongue and and figure everything out maybe as it's sitting there go ahead and breathe in through your nose so again you can get that nasal and retronasal type of of effects as well and then go ahead and, and drink it and let me know what you guys are tasting when you taste that so i get a lot more carbonation out of it if i just hold it in my mouth that um you know starts to react and release the gases a bit i get a lot more of that skunky aroma now and taste you know when i've got it on the front just in the front of my mouth it's it's not there as you take it down uh, then you get that skunkiness as it goes down uh, a little bit more. But, you know, overall, I'll drink it. Yeah, when you first put it in your mouth, it's uh, I put way too much in it for the first part of it. But uh, you definitely get, it definitely doesn't have much of a strong taste to it. It's actually kind of pleasant. And then you swallow and then you get that skunky flavor. It wasn't as skunky as I feared it was going to be, but it definitely stays there. Um it fades off fairly quickly, but still, even a couple minutes later, you can still taste in the back of your throat. Uh, mouthfeel wasn't too bad, but yeah, there's definitely the aftertaste is definitely different than the initial taste. Sure. Yeah. From from a mouthfeel standpoint, it's like I think it was pretty similar to any other 
lager type beer, right? Light and uh, crisp, crisp to some extent, right? Yeah. Um, so not so thick I'll, or creamy or any of that, you know. Just, well, and what I'll say is is just a caveat there uh, for any type of pale or light lager. Uh, type of mouthfeel because you can definitely have some pretty full-bodied full mouthfeel at you know a doppelbach is a lager so oh, that's true so yeah uh that's just me being anal of course but uh no so when we talk about taste mouthfeel and finish they all kind of go hand in hand sometimes it's hard to describe things like oh this is creamy as a taste when it's really just more about how that sits on your tongue or carbonation can create a carbonic bite or it might just be again the the drying effect that can have on the tongue what are you getting any sense of the hops what kind of characters are you guys getting from that if you can take that up at all or if you notice anything well i'll have you know that i scraped my tongue just for this before we started. <laughs> and I'm going to tell you that I have no freaking idea because I don't, I've never ate a hop by itself or licked one or I don't know what a hop is supposed to taste like other than when it is in liquid form for me to consume. JT, any thoughts? I'm not really sure. Yeah, once you get to hops, I hear all the different style hops. I know how they taste. Can't always really communicate how they taste differently. Let me take another sip here and see if I can work something up. Yeah, it's definitely, it's not a very strong, like, a pale ale or something like that. It's definitely, you can definitely taste it's got the lager. But, yeah, just that one, that sense of skunkiness is just, it, that's the main thing you taste. And it just, that's pretty much just overwhelms anything else you could taste, at least in my experience. Okay. Yeah, no, sure. So, this beer is, I would say, familiar or similar to a, like, a Czech premium uh, lager, pale lager, or a German Pilsner. They're based very much kind of in similar recipes, you know, certainly from Prague to, to Rome is maybe 1,700 kilometers. I don't know. Uh, but the idea is that it's about light malts, local kind of spring barley type of ingredients. So you're not going to get it too much on that part. And then the hops are going to be noble hops. I believe the hops in this are Saz. And uh, Magnum, Hollertower Magnum. So you've got some Czech and German noble varieties, and noble hops are, tend to be more herbal or more spicy. And when I say spicy, I mean more like aromatic spice. So maybe you're getting some cardamom or ginger, those types of things in there, as well as that, you know, they're going to get a little bit of citrus notes in there, but they're going to be pretty subtle. Mostly you're getting kind of herbs and aromatic spice. And then the other thing I'm getting from this is I know this is made with Italian maize and I definitely get a, get a good corn quality as well. So you guys talked a little bit about finish. What are you getting as you've, you've swallowed and how it's lingering on your tongue and what else is going on? It kind of tricks me because as we've sat here, we've talked, it's it's diminished enough in my mouth that I think, oh, I should drink more of this. And I don't know that I really want to that bad. Um, mm -hmm. It's okay, but, you know, maybe a can to prevent the, the skunkiness a little bit would be maybe a, a, a better way to try it again. But, uh, you know, I sit here, you know, a couple minutes later, my mouth is ready for another drink, right? Sure. But uh, 
I don't know that it, it's not leaving any kind of long-term aftertaste or any of that that any, you know, that I would call unpleasant. It, it does dissipate fairly quickly. Yeah, I'd agree. That's kind of the same way I feel about it too. It also makes me kind of sad that we, that it is in a green bottle and that that skunkiness is kind of ruining the flavor that the brewer intended for us to be able to taste. Mm-hmm. Cause I kind of like to see what his, not his dream or her dream, what their idea of what the beer should taste like. I kind of wish I could have a sample of that instead, because imagine that should be probably probably a pretty decent, good, refreshing lager, and I probably enjoy it quite a bit. You know, one of the things that's interesting about beers like this, not so much that you get with with some Czech premiums and some German pilsners, but definitely with some of these other European imports, is I think the market has actually gotten to the point where this is what people are looking for. You can certainly use some light, stable hop extracts to be able to accomplish the same thing. You know, the the international bittering units that we've talked about before for this, is it's about 24, I think, in this beer, which is pretty common. I would say Czech premiums go up to, I believe it's 45 IBUs. German pills are usually around 40, but this has about the same bittering units as, say, a Heineken does. So you're getting a lot more of that upfront hop, but you're not getting as much as that fruity floral finish that you might get on the back end. And so when you get that hitting you, it just tends to live a little bit more of maybe an astringent polyphenolic type of drying finish, almost to the point where it's kind of puckering but not like in a sour pucker like a sucking on a tea bag type of thing i can see that yeah i think that's a pretty good description of what it is you know it's definitely one of those beers that again compared to uh like a czech premium a czech premium finishes with a little bit more residual sugar so it's going to be a little bit sweeter it's going to finish about the same level of dryness as a german pills but then again with that flaked maize that's in there you're going to get a little bit more of kind of that perceived corn sweetness that five percent or 5.1 abv is going to have a little bit of alcohol sweetness that goes with it as well but it definitely has a little bit more of that that drying but you know to compare it to say an american premium or another premium what would you kind of want to compare it to no that's a good question define define premium (laughs) i mean um i don't that's a good question i I would say heineken's the first comparable i can think of that's not american though well that's fine though i i think i think heineken is certainly something similar again heineken also doesn't use light stable hop extracts or anything like that I don't know if I've had an American beer that tastes like this. Sure. To be I mean, perfectly honest. Maybe. Uh, uh, you know, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go into the Wayback Machine here a little bit. If my very old memory serves right, maybe uh, a Blatz. Sure. Or an old style. Okay, yeah. A little bit. I don't even know if they still make Blatz. <laughs> That's a good question. I actually don't know either. But I always thought of it as a as a uh, I like a Budweiser, but Budweiser's smoother than this. Doesn't have the skunkiness to me that this does. 
Sure. Um, but those always had that bit of bite to them. Um, that that this has the the blats and oh maybe hams or something like that too back in the day. Yeah, yeah. I also get a little bit of Rolling Rock maybe. Okay, yeah, I forgot about that one. Once again, Green Bottle. Yeah. Rolling Rock has a little bit of another off-flavor called DMS, uh, which, again, is a slight amount is is actually okay in this style. Certainly, sometimes you get a German Pils that has a little bit of DMS. I don't really get any DMS. And, and DMS uh, tastes like cooked corn, maybe cabbage, some things that you get. Use you get it from a lot of like under modified malts so people that that aren't uh boiling long enough to drive off some of those sulfur compounds for sure uh rolling rock definitely has more of that so that makes it almost a little bit sweeter but yeah again you kind of get a similar quality there but it is something that again with these these european premium lagers you know, a lot of times we see these imports. The thing to remember is an import right now actually raises a restaurant's check average greater than anything else. So someone who's going to buy an import beer is, has a higher overall check than on a craft or a domestic beer. And so what are people really drinking when they're trying to get this? What do you mean by uh, check? Beer. <laughs> drinking beer. <laughs> <laughs> but my point no my point is is that you know you, you might have a a, a a beer menu that has a four dollar budweiser a five dollar heineken and a six dollar local craft what happens is that that five dollar import drinker tends to buy spend more on food spend more on drinks just spends more overall and so a restaurant really wants to have those imports because they're actually going to go ahead and, and drive more revenue per customer even though that craft drinker is drinking or is paying more per beer they're drinking less beers in a sitting and the person who's drinking the 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 butt or the miller they're just going out to just drink beer. They're probably not tipping well. They're not buying the most expensive thing on, on the menu. You know, the, the, the... I take offense to that shit. <laughs> <laughs> I'll drink my Budweiser with my filet mignon. Thank you very much. Which is certainly fine, and you can do that. <laughs> would be... yeah. I'll drink my craft brew with my chicken strips. Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> And you see, that's the thing is you got the best of, of, of both worlds, but that import drinker tends to to want to drink and and eat like they're worldly. And so we're having a beer here that I actually think it's a decent beer. I do agree that it is definitely light struck and that is a significant problem. Once I can get past that, I can definitely appreciate kind of that, that again, that spring barley, the fact that it is is dry without being overly astringent. Um, but yeah, the people that are drinking this are really looking to to kind of show off how worldly they are not necessarily because it's something they enjoy is this something you yeah. can get in cans over here in the states or yes the last time i got it was in a restaurant matter of fact and it came out to the table in a can Sweet. uh so there are cans here somewhere now where you can get one i i have no idea if it's just through distributors for stuff like that or if it's on the shelf somewhere maybe but uh it it is here in cans in some capacity. That was a uh, an Italian restaurant in Portland, Oregon, actually, where I had it. Nice. 
And and I don't know. So Peroni is now owned by Asahi. They were owned by Miller Coors up until Anheuser Busch bought SAB Miller a couple of years ago. And as part of that deal, then Miller Coors had to sell off some brands, and so they sold off Peroni to Asahi. So I don't know if distribution footprint and and package type has changed, but. Uh, that is something to, to kind of keep in mind too. That is, as those deals change, what's available to people changes as well. So I haven't seen it in cans around here, but I have previously. So yeah, it's certainly something that is out there. Yeah, can I can I get it in the little mini pony keg for my fridge? There it you has go. its own built-in little tap on it. That's what I want to know. <laughs> you you could get it into a, a slim quarter or a six barrel keg. I don't know that you can get it into. A party ball. Didn't Heineken um, used to do that? I think they do. like that one time. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I think Heineken does too. Yeah. I haven't seen one in forever. Used to see them quite a bit, but. Yeah, the challenge with those, unless you're drinking them quickly, it's kind of like a growler. You're not keeping any CO2 on those things, and they're just going to go flat and oxidized. So You saw me drink last Thursday, right, Tim? I did. When I when I decide to drink, there's usually a large quantity in there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, how was uh, Friday morning? I was fine. Uh, you know, I was all right. A little, little rough, but I've been a lot worse at times in my life. It wasn't that bad. The heart skipping a beat every once in a while throughout the day as it was trying to remind me not to do that anymore uh, was different, but... You know, it's it's all part of the game. Now I've made that mistake. I won't make that one again. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, but uh, so in summation, I guess then um, personally, I think that this is a beer that I wouldn't be shy about drinking again uh, by any means. I don't think I'd have a problem if somebody handed it to me. So, you know, throwing it down, that wouldn't be a problem at all. I don't know that I would go seek it out unless I could find it in a can, maybe just to get that different opinion of it. But uh, overall, you know, it's not a bad beer. JT, thoughts? Yeah, I don't think I'll be drinking it again anytime soon. <laughs> <laughs> but I would, I honestly, and I am kind of sad I can't try it in a can or get it from overseas where it's the actual flavor as it is intended, because I think that'd be a really nice perspective. And I think I would actually enjoy that beer. If we actually ever get to spring, since we've got winter coming tomorrow. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, we did spring cleaning today because winter is coming. So, oh, that's right. You guys are supposed to have a cold snap in the Midwest again, aren't you? Yeah, we're supposed to get not too bad around here, but some parts of the state are actually going to get a winter storm warning. So that'll be interesting. Yeah, we're supposed to get six inches, which I blame on my neighbor because last weekend. He prepped his snowblower for summer storage. And I told him, I was like, dude, you know we're going to get a big snowstorm as soon as you drained all, as soon as you ran all that gas out of your snowblower so that you could store it. We're going to get one. You're going to have to put more gas in that thing and do this all over again. And yes, we're going to get six inches tomorrow. Boy. Well, that's, that's, uh, I believe that's called Murphy's Law, right? So. Yeah, that's pretty much how it always seems to happen. Uh, We're going to take a quick break brought to you by Deadeye Barbecue Sauce, and we'll be back just here in a second. 
This Tailgate Society podcast is brought to you by our good friends at Deadeye Premium Barbecue Products. Born in Iowa and made in the heartland, Deadeye is your go-to source for everything barbecue. Sauces, seasonings, you name it. They've made a science out of great grilling flavor. It's more than a sauce. Whether you're cooking sliders, dogs, steak, or chicken, Deadeye has the explosive flavor needed to make every dish delicious. Try a splash of their sweet and smoky original recipe or turn up the heat with their Magnum Edition barbecue sauce. Both flavors are available in seasonings as well as sauces. So pick your favorite and prepare your taste buds for an unforgettable eating experience. Deadeye Premium Barbecue products are available at Fairway, Hy-Vee, Amazon, or at DeadeyeBBQ.com. Welcome back. We hope you enjoyed the first half of the podcast and our Peroni uh, review, although we aren't telling you whether to drink it or not drink it necessarily, just what our personal opinions are. Um, Here we're going to take a few minutes, and we've touched on it earlier a bit, uh, to let Tim uh, speak his piece a little bit about uh, local breweries right now, given the situation that we're all in again with our coronavirus shutdown and all of that kind of stuff. So uh, Tim wanted to say a few things. Uh, Tim, the floor is yours. One thing that JT had mentioned earlier is that he is going out and supporting his local breweries, and I really appreciate that. The Brewers Association recently did a survey of breweries. They've been doing a couple of these surveys during the coronavirus to get a sense of where people are at. Certainly, retail sales are up. They're up phenomenally. If you look at IRI scan data, they're they're up a bunch. They're generally up 10 to 20%. But the reality is overall sales for breweries are down around i believe the average is 65 percent with the median around 75 percent what's happening is people are losing out on those draft sales and those draft sales are where a lot of their margin is coming in so draft sales at bars and restaurants draft sales in their tap room those are really kind of the lifeblood of a brewery the package sales are great they're awesome but package sales even being up still means that a brewery is going to be down if they don't have that draft and it's gotten to a point where 46%, I believe it was like 45.8, but 46% of breweries that responded to the survey said that they would anticipate closing within three months if this were to continue for another three months. So it is absolutely vital that people get out and support their local craft breweries, take advantage. Again, like I said, I I had some beer delivered from a local craft brewery. A lot of places are doing you know, a curbside pickup, allowing you to come in, drop some stuff off, still sending some places to to liquor stores where you're able to get those things, maybe even growlers and crowlers, sorry, Aaron, but crowlers <laughs> to, to go. It's really kind of important to, to make sure that you're getting out. And actually kind of one silver lining in all of this is some of those beers that have been typically harder to find, Certainly some liquor stores are out of, of a premium selection, but some things, I don't know if you guys saw recently, but out in California, one of the more rare beers, one of the more sought-after beers, Russian River's Pliny the Elder, which is something that people have a hard time getting since all the restaurants and bars are closed right now. Costco is actually selling that beer by the case when it was difficult to even find a bottle before. So there is a, a small chance that you're able to find something like Pliny that's out there. So make sure that you're going to take advantage of those things. 
but please uh, do what JT is doing. Go visit those guys. Go make sure that you're supporting those guys. The reality is, is even the ones that survive, even those 54%, uh, you know, they're going to, to suffer as well. People have been temporarily furloughed. There are a lot of breweries that have basically laid people off indefinitely. And even when they get back up and running, they might not have the labor, the staff that they had before. So this is definitely going to be a hit and has already been a hit on the industry. So for me, certainly personally and for a lot of my friends, but just for your ability to get beer you love, please go out and support those guys. That's a, it's a great point. And, and it leads me to a question that I do want to touch on with you because you talk about people being furloughed and all of that kind of stuff. In a brewery, perhaps like your old one, uh, Badger Hill, right? Mm-hmm. About how many employees does a place like that have? You know, it certainly depends on the size and what other operations they have going on. But you're probably going to have at least two guys in the brew house. You're probably running two turns a day, maybe three turns a day. You might have three guys in the brew house. You're probably going to have one or two guys in the cellar. So those are the people... And I say guys, I should say women as well. Uh, that's something I'll get into in a whole other day is how much we are lacking for diversity in this industry. But you're going to have a couple people that are, are working in the cellar, harvesting yeast, pitching yeast, dropping tanks, taking gravity readings. You'll probably have a packaging staff, the biggest unsung heroes of a brewery of probably – two to three people, maybe more, depending on, on how big of a canning line or bottling line or kegging operation you have going on. And that's just in production. But then you have to remember, you have to have salespeople, feet on the street. It's a hyper-competitive market. So you're probably going to have, hopefully, at least two salespeople to, to handle that, to work with your, your distribution partners. You're going to have someone that's handling marketing even if you outsource to an external agency, you're going to have someone that's doing that, someone who's managing the books, managing payroll, your taproom staff, all your taproom bartenders. Remember, a lot of those people, those taproom bartenders, they're making most of their money off of tips. And when they don't have anything to pour, even if they're the same guy selling you a growler, it's nothing near what, what they're they're used to. Yeah, so I mean, uh, I don't know, what would you call badger hill a medium-sized facility or smaller facility i mean when it comes to craft brewers yeah it's you know there's certainly a a lot of of brewers that are small i I would say last year between us and the other brands it was somewhere in the neighborhood of about ten thousand barrels which is pretty small uh but there are a lot of breweries that do less than a thousand barrels and and to crack the 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 top 30 you're you know i think you're having to do at least 60 that it's 60,000 barrels. So, yeah, you can be anywhere from, I would say, on the small end, a staff of of five full-time and probably five part-time to 200 total employees. Yeah, so, I mean, it's not just uh, the brewery itself, right? you got to remember these are, are places that are employing uh, what could be large numbers of people, 20, 30, 40, um, especially in some of the places that have the tap rooms or, or full restaurants that are – or beside them or anything else like that. So just remember keeping those places alive it keeps jobs for those people to go back to, even if they are furloughed right now, 
we're going to come out of this eventually and uh, hopefully be able to get back out there and, and have these places to go to. Because if we can't keep them open through this, when we all go berserk, when we can finally leave our house, because that's what I fully expect to happen is like everybody is going to go bananas getting out of the house uh, at some point, mm-hmm. um, you know, to get out and, and do it. But they got to make it to that point first. So uh, do everything you can to try to support those places that you love like you do anything else. Um I think that's a, a big key to this whole situation right now. Um, and that goes for anything you love, uh, restaurants, bars, breweries, your local mom and pop place that cuts hair right now is struggling, you know? So, so in the, I see your hair, JT. God, it's bad. I, see it. <laughs> <laughs> I need a haircut so freaking bad. My mom's a barber too, but with my dad's uh, help, I'm not risking that. So right on. I understand. So this is episode two. Obviously, episode three is next. That's typically how things go, numerical order, right? Um, <laughs> in in episode three, we are going to have our first guest. We have not 100% confirmed who that is yet, but we got a pretty good idea. And uh, we're really looking forward to that if it comes together. Fear-wise, we're going to step into, I believe, uh, Sierra Nevada Pale Ale is going to be our next beer. Is that yes. uh, what we agreed on? Pretty readily available beer stepping into that pale ale uh, area. That's one that uh, I think you can get pretty much anywhere. So if you if you want to follow along with us as we go, um, we're going to try to preview our beers at the big end of every episode so that you know what we're going to drink in the next episode. So if you want to follow along with us, you certainly can. Again, today, Peroni, JT, any last thoughts about Peroni, anything you want to leave the people with? I'm looking at it on the floor right now because I didn't want to set it on my coaster and make noise. There's probably two sips left, and I'm trying to decide if I want to do that to myself or not. (laughs) Then I remember I've got an ample supply of beer and whiskey, so I'll probably make it happen and then wash it down with something else later. I can see why people would like it, but it's not my cup of tea. Mm -hmm. So the guy with the discerning palate has discerned that he does not care for peroni <laughs> this you are correct sir can confirm as they would say on letter penny yeah can confirm <laughs> personally again i said it before and i'll say it again i i would drink this beer again i probably will drink this beer again not something i'm going to go out and buy six packs of or keep at home or anything like that it's definitely not going on my uh desert island beer list anytime soon but again it's it's a perfectly fine beer drink it you know if you i would guess if you could get it on tap it'd be pretty good or out of a can paired with the right stuff i'm sure it'd be even better but uh you know on a scale of maybe one to five i I, it's you know it's pretty average i mean it's it's okay I'd put it in the middle. It's not something I would avoid, but it's it's not something I'm going to seek out either. Tim, you got any final thoughts on, on Peroni? No, I'm really glad that we went through this one. Like I said, it is the fastest growing European import. It is something that, as our producer, the wonderful Mr. David Graf can confirm, it is certainly better from the source. Uh, however, it is something that, you know, if I'm going to be choosing between a lot of those European or international light loggers, it's probably one that I'm going to go to over the others. 
but it's certainly not something that's probably going to make my desert island list as as well. So, well, right on. Yeah, and Tim mentioned it that David, our world class engineer back there, he uh, had this when he was in Italy one time. He was rubbing it in during our break that uh, he has been to Italy and. I haven't, and the next time I see him, he's probably going to get elbowed in the face uh, because of his gloating about it. But he says it's pretty good there. Um, nice, yeah. humble brag, David. Well, elbow, yeah. elbows are okay. As long as you don't use your fist, you're okay. So elbows, yeah. elbows. Open hand, right? There you go. <laughs> uh, Give him the Ric Flair chop. Yes, the backhanded slap. Oh, man. But... With all that said, uh, this is the end of episode two, obviously. want to remind you to seek out and find Deadeye Barbecue Sauce, proud sponsor of the Tailgate Society and probably less proud sponsor of Bitter Units. But uh, <laughs> those are the guys that are helping us make this happen. Uh, Deadeye Barbecue Sauce, a big fan of the uh, Magnum Barbecue Sauce. They've got the original Magnum uh Mango, I believe, which I haven't had yet. Uh, but they've got a wide variety. Make sure you check them out. Fairways, Amazon, lots of other places too. I think maybe I have some high V's uh, in Iowa. So, you know, we appreciate those guys. Want to make sure that uh, you remember that in episode three, which will be coming up again in a couple of weeks, we're going to be doing Sierra Nevada Pale Ale. Appreciate you guys being with us. Anybody got any final things to throw out there before we sign off? Going, going, gone. Thanks again. We'll see you next time.